The Quiet Carriage, the show about books and their authors, with your host, Paul J. Laverty, and sponsored by Castlemaine's signature bookstore, Stoneman's Book Room. Broadcast on 94.9 Main FM and across the nation on the Community Radio Network. All aboard. Welcome to The Quiet Carriage on 94.9 Main FM and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Today, my guest is Martin Mackenzie Murray, an old uni mate of mine, believe it or not. And he's promoting his novel, his debut novel, The Speechwriter, out now via Scribe Publications. Here's a little bit about the novel from the blurb. Toby. Former speechwriter to the PM has reached a new low, locked behind bars in a high-security prison with sentient PlayStation storming the city outside and the worst of Australia's criminals forcing him to ghostwrite letters to their loved ones or have his spine repurposed as a coat rack. How did he get here? From the vantage point of his prison cell, Tony pens his memoir, trying to piece together how he fell so far all the while fielding the uninvited literary opinions of his murderous cellmate, Gary. What Toby unspools is a tale of twisted bureaucracy, public servants gone rogue, and the ever-present pervasive stench of rotting prawns, don't ask. Realising that his political career is far from the noble endeavour he'd once imagined it to be, Toby makes a bid for freedom before the terrible realisation dawns it's impossible to get fired from the public service. Refusing to give up or have to pay for his relocation fee, Toby's attempts to get fired grow more and more extreme, and he finds himself being propelled higher and higher through the ranks of bureaucracy. And here's a little bit about the author. Martin Mackenzie Murray was a Saturday paper's chief correspondent. Martin Mackenzie Murray was a Saturday paper's chief correspondent work for which made him both a Walkley and Quill finalist. Before that, he worked as a teacher, speechwriter, age columnist, and advisor to the Chief Commissioner of Victoria Police. Elsewhere, his writing has appeared in the Sydney Morning Herald, The Monthly, Guardian Australia, Mean Gin, and Best Australian Essays. His first book, A Murder Without Motive, The Killing of Rebecca Ryle, was shortlisted for the Ned Kelly Awards for Crime Writing. And here he is on the phone. Martin Mackenzie Murray, thank you so much for joining me today on The Quiet Carriage. Hi, g'day. A bit of a disclaimer for the audience that we do know each other, if you remember. Uh, We made our bones at Grok, the student paper at Curtin University back in WA. And I believe you were editor back then uh deputy editor deputy was a big difference isn't there yeah right (laughs) did that stand you in in because that was such a happy productive time for me did that stand you in in good stead for the the career you've had in media jeez good question i think what it did that were my first bylines and so when i started Mm. i was as most people at grok and student newspapers generally was a volunteer. So I think it was O'Day, and mm-hmm. he's now a very old mate of mine, but the then editor, Patty, yes. uh, was holding a stall, which had very, very few people there compared to 
the commercial tents and uh, you know all the fun clubs, yeah, promising <laughs> lots of booze and spa parties. So and then there was Paul Lonesome Paddy um, <laughs> yeah. trying to drum up uh, vol- uh, volunteer riders, and I was one of them. And initially callow man that i was there was just the thrill of getting some free cds and maybe Ah, movie screenings but what it did was give me a modest audience and it gave me my first bylines and the thrill is now gone it's now a job (laughs) and a profession um which is journalist as i am but at the time it was an enormous thrill seeing name in print and the other thing it did was to meet Folks like our mutual friend Susie and mm-hmm. Paddy, who I've mentioned, who's become a very close, lifelong friend. Um, and that uni- university more broadly did something, which was to revive my passion for language. Mm-hmm. Um, high school was a fallow period. I abandoned writing and reading and was only right. interested in football and music and scarcely read a book for five years and barely scraped into university and only did so with the idea that I wasn't good enough to become a professional football player, so I might as well write about it. And so the only idea was sports journalism. And university and Grok especially surrounded me with with people that I was latently but had forgotten. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, slightly weird people, passionate, nerdy people, um, political junkies, um, artists, writers, poets. And it was this whole wonderful revival of a passion that I had sort of abandoned at the start of high school because I was writing a lot in primary school. So, yeah, Grok was this beautiful little compressed – the proximity of the campus pub was – was also mm. pleasing. Yep. Um, spend a lot of time there. George's kebabs. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was really university was great for that. Not so much for the coursework, but the extracurricular stuff. Meeting people that really switched me on yeah. and reviving this latent passion for language. And there was nothing better than than Grok to do that. And because there were so few people writing, and this is a huge campus, but we couldn't get anyone to write for us. So in any given issue. I would write a political column, a review of the latest, I don't know, Eskimo Joe and Paul Westerberg records, mm-hmm. um, and a long feature on ecstasy testing kits. And I'd have to start using pseudonyms because it would become ridiculous <laughs> that half of the, uh, or that all of the paper was written by about three people. Um, yeah. So, uh, and whilst I wrote garbage, almost exclusively garbage, and I had such a stupid overestimation of my ability um it allowed me to write and to get even half good you just need to write and write and write and write um and so and so i did badly but hopefully i got some of the badness out of my system well it worked out okay because you went on and became a journalist and now you've got a book out Mm. How, how does it feel being on the other side of the spectrum for this book and being interviewed instead of interviewing I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Um, probably more comfortable on the other side, but not that it's yeah. like there's any discomfort. Um, no, I like I like chatting with people, Paul. So that's good. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of a pleasure. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's like uh, it's it's flattering in a way as well, right? That there's this kind of it's ephemeral. It's fleeting, and the book will be forgotten very soon. Um, but well, it's nice in this moment to have your work looked at. A yeah. Little bit. 
Well, well, let's hope. Let's hope not, because I we're here to talk about your book today, the speechwriter, right now via Scribe, and I I really enjoyed this book, and and like I said, I knew you back at uni, but honestly, I don't mean this in a bad way. I didn't know you were this funny, because this is a this is a damn funny book. How did Thanks, you? I hope so. It is. How did you come up with such a bizarre take on on being a speechwriter? Uh, bitterness, <laughs> <laughs> like bottomless contempt for my old. So I should say, right. let's go back. Like my my um, previous career was political. Yes. Um, and I was a I was a late starter man. So I was working in like Maccas and backpackers until you know an an age that was probably getting a bit uncomfortably embarrassing. Really, um, right? I didn't know that. And taught taught English overseas in South mm-hmm. Korea, but my first real office job kind of prop you know quote unquote proper job was uh, as a junior speechwriter for the premier i was about 26 27 mm-hmm. and after that it was also a very bad political campaign manager um during a state election then moved to canberra and was a departmental rather than political speechwriter um and so this bizarre take like it had been engendered there like i i arrived in canberra as a pretty this was during the rudd years and the hope, the expectation, and not exclusively to me, but the expectation of Rudd was he would be this kind of revolutionary <laughs> Mandarin, <laughs> um, this this quite brilliant, intellectually brilliant technocrat that would um, transform through evidence-based policy, would transform the country. And, of course, things disintegrated. Mm. Um but I entered Canberra pretty wide-eyed and idealistic, not as eccentrically idealistic as my character Toby uh, in The Speechwriter, but idealistic nonetheless. And my idealism was very quickly mugged. And uh, I became exceedingly bitter about the city, about my work, about speechwriting, about political language. And to sort of purge myself, I thought, you know, I thought, well, I should try and translate these bitter feelings into something creative something constructive so i sort of i'd always been i'd always wanted to try comedy Mm -hmm. and so at the time this was 10 years ago i sort of started noodling around with a with an idea for a tv sitcom um and so yeah i think the the feverishness of the speech writer and it is quite feverish is a fair measure of uh, just ha- of my contempt. Um, and also, we've been living through quite feverish times, yeah. right? So I, this book was written during the Trump era. Um, so the feverishness and the, and, the, and the weirdness of it, I mean, that's for you to say and readers to say, I guess, but I think it's quite feverish and, and weird, um, isn't, isn't such a, such a leap. I mean, it's also yeah. it's a reflection of my own kind of tumult, tumultuous bitterness about, um, <laughs> about my old job. But it's also the feverishness is also a reflection of our times. Yeah. Um, lockdown, lockdown in the time of Trump. Jesus. <laughs> Does it get much worse than that? So when life gives you lemons, you went and and wrote a book. Is is Canberra in any way like this? I'd like to think it was. Well, look at what's happening now. Yeah. Look at what's happening now. You yeah. have. The, the most generous description I think I can apply to Morrison's handling of the Brittany Higgins allegations is, and this is generous, I'm being generous here, is a 
catastrophically cynical treatment of an alleged crime, and that crime being an extremely grave one, um, the concealment and the obfuscation of something so, so serious um, has created cascading failures. Brittany Higgins herself has been badly fouled. Mm-hmm. Um, and all around this, you have this sordid party of miscreants. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really difficult to overstate how squalid um, this moment is in mm-hmm. federal politics. And I think how historically suspect the government is. So for all of the strangeness and, you know, obviously it's, it's quite a surreal and feverish book, but its origins are in reality. I don't, you know, I, I, as odd as it is, I don't think it's that odd. I don't think it's that, that much of a leap. Mm. Um, politics is, um, there's not too many likable characters, if any, really. Early, you know, the young, eccentrically idealistic Toby, I guess, one might be fond of. I like Gary, um, the cellmate, oh, yeah, just, yeah, just for true. honesty. Yeah, the cellmate, yeah. 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 That's true. He could, yeah, that's right. That's, that's true. Yeah. yeah. There's a there's a there's a clean kind of yeah sort of honesty there yeah. um yeah that's true yeah. um but elsewhere the book's populated by vulgar megalomaniacs and that's true of that's true of politics you are listening to the quiet carriage on 94.9 main fm and the community radio network and now we return to my interview with the writer Martin Mackenzie Murray. I I get the feeling that you really enjoyed writing this because it was a departure for the more serious writing you do, a largely political writing. Could you could you see yourself writing more of these? I'm not sure. I I initially I started when I finished it. I was like writing a short list of potential uh, comedic novels. Mm-hmm. I had a few ideas, mm-hmm. um, but most immediately I've signed contracts for other books, nonfiction, um, okay. biography, and, and, and memoir. Yeah. But yeah, the idea is—I mean, I've been—I've been playing with comedy again, but in a, for a TV or, or radio script, um, animals and therapy. Um, so yeah, I hope not to abandon comedy. But yeah. God, it's hard. Like I can tell you, Paul, that of all the various forms of writing. Mm-hmm. I've done mostly journalistic, but within journalism, there's lots of different forms, whether it's investigative journalism or profile writing or you're writing columns. Um, I've done sp- speeches as well, obviously. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing comes close to comedy. It is extremely hard, and I have the utmost respect for, uh, for those who do it well. It's true. I, I write comedy as well, and I've been told in, in some circles that it's okay. But if you were to put me anywhere near a mic, and a stage, I, w- I would just crumble like the coward mm. I am. Now I've got friends who are stand-ups, and these people are just are just freaks. Have you have you ever oh, taken man. the plunge? Have I ever what's right? Have you ever taken the plunge on like say an just open for mic s- night at, for comedy? Up? Yeah. No, I think about I think about stand-up. I dream of it. <laughs> um, do you? Yeah, I but not. An- not I, I think about it not so much. Why haven't you done it? Oh, I couldn't do it. You're no, a coward, you're a coward. You said. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I dream of it. It would be amazing to to do that, but I just couldn't. I just know I haven't got it in me to do that. But 
I mean, it's, it's it's really the thing that I think about a lot. It's not I don't think about me doing it. What I think about is the, the psychology of the people who do it. Because when you start out in anything, you tend to be shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 a rare freak who is very very good straight out. Um, and so my writing was appalling for a very long time, but I was sufficiently arrogant to be blind mm, to that fact, and that was really useful because you keep doing it, and you need to keep doing it to get half good. Um, but the the badness can be hidden because it's just in your notebook. It's not exactly. being published. But with stand-up comedy, you have to be, in all likelihood, you're going to be really bad initially, mm. but that badness is committed as a lonely person, as one person on a stage under lights with people, extraordinary. And this is the thing with comedy is that you live comedy is that you know if it's worked very palpably because it's there's laughter, mm-hmm. and if there's no laughter, it it's failed. Mm. So th- th- this is a very brutal <laughs> scenario, right? Like I I don't know if I could submit to it. Same as you. It's, it, it's extraordinary that people do it. It's true because you're sitting in front of your laptop. You've got the delete button there. No one has to see it. You're on stage. Yeah. People have camera phones now as well. Oh, God. Jeez. No. No, thanks. <laughs> what um, what sort of literature growing up floated your boat, so to speak? Because I, I was trying to work out when I was reading this, and, and from a TV perspective, the thick of it, obviously, rang out oh, yeah. in the book. But also another one, a, a book I bang on about on the show quite a bit, probably more so than I should, Confederacy of Dunces. Had a bit of that yeah. for me as well, John Kennedy too. Um, what sort of books influenced influenced this, your book? Yeah. You're not the first to, I hope this doesn't sound like I'm an insane, boastful egomaniac. Not at um, all. Because that's, that's, that's such a kind of masterpiece of comedic mm. antic writing, Confederacy of Dancers. But yeah, I've, I've, I've read it as well. And as just putrescent and so profoundly unlikable is Ignatius Riley. It is an extraordinary bit of writing and happily like you're not the first to mention that book, um, which is, which is nice to hear. Um, uh, I don't know if that was forefront of my mind, but then again, hopefully the, the better you become at writing, hopefully your influences are worn subtly and maybe even unconsciously. Mm -hmm. Um, more front of mind, I read, I'd never read Evil and War before um, the last couple of years, but I went through Neither quite a bit of his work, um, Decline and Fall. And for a cantankerous Catholic who hated so well, um, <laughs> his, he was very articulate in his acid. Um, for this mm. cantankerous Catholic that was writing about a century ago, the comedy to me still seems so fresh and the sentences really? when I mean, you often hear this word with evil and war is style like on a sentence level the sentences glimmer like they're 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 sparkling man yeah, evanescent yeah. like just effervescent sentences um i yeah. adored decline and fall and then i read i read a few more of his scoop is fantastic as well the the journalism parody um so Evelyn Wall very much, and like not in any way does this book kind of is similar to Paul Paul Beatty's or Paul Beatty's The Sellout. Um, Don't know that. that won the Booker a few years ago, first American to win it when they opened up the Booker beyond outside the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. And I think about that book so much because to me that's 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 about as high as you can set the bar for satire. And this is the thing with satire is that very little of it is funny. 
I find too much of it is kind of smug, self-satisfied. It's wry or dry, and it's clever. And I、mm. hate clever.、Um, very little of it invokes laughter.、Yeah. The lol. I want the lols, man. <laughs> Right, we want the lols, and I think we look down our noses at it a bit in literature.、Um, but Paul Beatty's book is unusual for being scintillating, hot, fucking brilliant satire. Yeah, this race polemic,、um, and with shimmering sentences. But it is laugh out loud funny,、wow. brilliantly funny. It's it's probably the funniest book I've ever read.、Um, and so I think about that a lot. But I think about it in a way that. It, it's like the looming older brother, you know, casting this intimidating、um, kind of、um, reputation. It's such a such a good book. He's such a great writer. So I, I think about that book a lot,、um, yeah. but in no way can make any claim to to being like him. I've got to check that out. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of this style of writing, and I agree with you. I don't think there's enough out there, and also, like you say, it's such a fine line. It, it's It's so hard to do. It's so hard to get that tone right and not to slip into, you know, being a smart ass as well. It's like to keep it on the line of being funny is is very hard to do. It's tricky, yeah.、Mm. And the other thing for me was that bitterness, where like sort of anger is a wonderful、um, engine、mm. or mine、um, that you can. Um, you can tap into some arteries and, and really creatively mine that stuff, but the problem is that it's volatile. And with something like you mentioned, the thick of it, I love the thick of、mm. it. I love all of Armando Anucci's stuff. He co-created Alan Partridge, maybe the greatest comic character of all time.、Yeah. Um, you know, enormous respect for Armando Anucci, but the thick of it almost succumbed to its own bitterness and cynicism. And so that was the thing that I struggled with the speechwriter. It's like, okay, I'm mining. Genuine feeling here, and genuine frustration, and genuine disgust with political culture,、um, and that's useful. That's a powerful fuel. But at the same time,、um, is it going to tip into、um, nihilism or this kind of ugly bitterness? Is it going to leave、um, a bad aftertaste in the reader's mouth? You know, and、mm. that's that's sort of a difficult thing there of of not knowing. Like you're using this kind of volatile fuel, and you're not sure if it's going to. Explode and、uh, become this really ugly work of bitterness. <laughs>、um, so, yeah. Hope- yeah. <laughs> hopefully, I hopefully I use the fuel wisely. I don't know.、Uh, it worked. It worked. It worked very well. What route did you take to get to publication in terms of fiction? I mean, have you written short stories? Have you appeared in lit mags? No. This was. This is totally different. So I published a short story just a few weeks ago, but that was the first short story yeah, I、right. wrote、mm-hmm. since probably university.、Um, so I was pretty anxious about it.、Mm-hmm. You know, I've done journalism enough, and my first book was a work of nonfiction that you know I'm reasonably confident in my ability, and also confident in knowing if the story is working or not. Confident that there is a story,、mm-hmm. but with comedy, it's so idiosyncratic and strange and subjective that I was always questioning myself. You know, it's like, is this garbage and just idiocy? Like, is there going to be one person laughing at that, and that's me? And sometimes not even me. So the the strangeness of it to me was was funny, and so for that reason, it was. Sort of almost just a hobby. I was doing my day job of journalism, and then I said to myself, I would write a reasonable amount, reasonable chunk of it, 
I think I set the threshold at about 30,000 words and then I would show it to my publisher right. um, and say, what do you think about it? Um, no hard feelings if the answer is a hard get fucked. Um, and I was a little surprised for them to go, yeah, no, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, so we went from there. But, yeah, I wasn't sure. I kind of um, didn't tell anyone about it. Not that I mm – -hmm. not, not for – you know, it was a important secret or something. It was just, it was just something I was privately trying. It was sort of a challenge I set myself. It's like, can you write fiction? Can you write comedy? Give it a shot. Try, you know, just try it. And, um, you know, if it fails, that's fine. I'll go back to, you know, what I know best. Yeah. Um, mm. but yeah, here we are. Hmm. And can you tell us a bit more about what, what you're working on next? What, what projects we've got coming up? Sure. Um, I finished the first draft of a memoir. So I was asked to write uh, a book about fatherhood. Right. Um, I became a dad, as we were talking about off air, mm -hmm. um, two years ago. So the book is sort of half of it is childhood. It's all the reasons why I never wanted to be a dad. I mean, I want <laughs> like avowedly childless. Mm -hmm. That was my thought. You know, I was, I was a hard no on children ever, ever, ever. Um, <laughs> And so this is, and here we are, and, you know, God, God bless her. Um, but the book is um, reasonably light, but there are some sort of, you know, more confessional, darker parts and, and philosophical parts about fatherhood and masculinity. Um, so, yeah, memoir of fatherhood, the first half being um, kind of a story, I guess, of my childhood, a collection of all the reasons why I, I, I realized I didn't want to be a father. Right. Um, and, uh, and then the second half is sort of during my partner's pregnancy and the third part, uh, the last two years and parenting during lockdown in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, so that's one. And I've just signed a contract to write a biography of the, uh, the Victorian premier, Daniel Andrews. Oh, brilliant. Cool. Well, been talking about, the speechwriter i know via scribe i really hope there's a multitude of people like myself who enjoyed it immensely and it encourages you and inspires you to write some more like this because i think there should be more like this on our shelves and it's great to see a fellow grok writer come good yeah. <laughs> and we should catch up for a beer next time you're up this way in uh, in castle yeah. maine martin mckenzie murray thank you so much you're welcome. Thanks, buddy. listening to The Quiet Carriage on 94.9 Main FM and the Community Radio Network. And that is all we have time for today, unfortunately. I've been your host, Paul J. Laverty, and you can find me under all the socials under that name. Until next time, keep reading.